Well, today we're going to talk about a situation where some folks are in jail, and instead of yelling and screaming and demanding their release or demanding their lawyer, then instead they actually choose to worship God while in jail. Now, that may seem crazy to us. It wasn't a desperate plea. You know, God, get me out of this situation. It was more a desire to worship God authentically where they are in their lives. We're going to look at that um, this morning. Actually, a pretty funny story in the Bible. What the Bible is talking about is not funny, um, but there's some jokes in there in the original language. We don't sort of get a lot of times the humor of the Bible because the Bible, uh, most of us are more familiar with like the King James and the very uh, sort of uh, restricted and rigid um, writing of the Bible. We see the these and the thous, and we forget that there's a sense of humor. Um, and even in the midst of adversity, um, a desire to see God work in people's lives. And so we're going to look at that um, here this morning. Well, oops, we forgot God. That's the series that we've been working through. Um, for many of us, we have these moments where we forget about God in our lives. I mean, uh, some of us will say, oops, we forget about God on Monday through Saturday, right? And then we come back to church and we're like, oh yeah, church, yeah. Um, you know, I should probably put God uh, somewhere in the mix in my life, right? Um, some of you forgot about God for a week. Some of you forgot about God for a month. Some of you forgot about God for a year. Some of you had a big oops, and you forgot about God for a decade or more, right? Now, that's lost time. We can't make that up. But what we can do to start today is to make sure that we do not forget about God, that we keep Him central in our lives. And in fact, that's the subtext of our message. Um, this series is the centrality of worship keeping God central in our lives, keeping the worship of God central in our lives, making sure that worship is the number one thing that we are doing on a day-to-day basis. Here's our strategy. is The first week, um, we looked at worshiping God in our life. And we looked at Exodus chapter 20 and just some principles that we talked about of worship there is that God asks us to worship Him for several reasons, but one of which is because He has established in advance why He is faithful. We talked about the first week. That if you ask, if you decide you're going to hire someone for a job, maybe you're going to rent out your house to somebody, you ask for what they've done in the past. You want to know what their experience is. What kind of renter have they been? God starts off his covenant in the Ten Commandments by saying, listen, I am the God who have already rescued you out of Egypt. And so what happens is God establishes himself as being worthy of worship even before he talks about us worshiping him. Some of the other things we talked about as a really big principle of worship is what? is that the Bible basically says that if a person is not a believer in God, they cannot really worship God. Now that runs contrary to our world, because a lot of people you talk to are like, don't tell me to go to church, I'll worship God in my own way, right? But the problem is when you don't have a relationship with God, your worship of God is non-existent because the relationship you have with God is one-dimensional, which is God chasing after you out of his love for you, trying to get you into relationship with him. You know why I can say that if you don't have a relationship with God, that you cannot worship God? Um, It's the same way. It's because you don't know who God is. It's the same way if you're married. Let me just use marriage as an example. You can use relationships, you can use family, you can use friends the same way. I can say that, you know, I can love my wife in my own way. But as we talked about the first week, loving my my wife in my own way probably means me being a slob and just not doing anything that she wants me to do. Only when I know her and understand her can I love her in the way that she wants rather than in the way that I want to do it. And so our world is full of selfish, selfish people who say, I can worship God in my own way, but that doesn't work with him. It doesn't work with your spouse. 
frankly, doesn't work with anybody. It's just a big excuse that people use. Lukewarm Christians use that excuse all the time because they don't want to be confronted with who God is. They'd rather just be lukewarm because then they think they don't have to decide. But lukewarm Christianity is not a very good idea, in my opinion, nor in the Bible's opinion. First week we talked about in our lives. Now, second week we talked about worshiping God in our family. And the temptation for many of us is that we want to worship God. Okay, we're like, okay, pastor, I'll come to church and I'll worship God. I'll do my devotions. I'll read the Bible. I'll pray. I'll have a relationship with God. But I'm not going to talk to my kids about worshiping God. You know, I'm just going to delegate that to the church. I'm going to delegate that to the school system. And as I told you uh, last two weeks ago, I, you know, as a pastor, I don't accept that delegation. Because your children, your family members need to know that you know what worship is. They need to hear it from you. If your parents and kids, if your, if your kids think their parents just simply are about dropping their kids off at church, they learn that church, because that's what they equate relationship with God is, is basically meaningless when you become an adult. It's just something that you have to go through as a kid. And then once you're no longer a kid, part of your rite of passage is to just move on from church. Of course, we're defining, we're defining worship as a ritual. And that gets us into a problem also, as we talked about in week two, right? Because we go through rituals, and not all rituals are bad. But we confuse ritual with worship. We confuse the outward expression with what goes on inside. It doesn't matter whether we sing or don't, or don't sing. What matters is whether our heart is in the right place. What matters is whether we're worshiping God in our hearts. Some of you came in this morning tempted. They were singing Yahweh or whatever. And you're like thinking, the U.S. tied England. All right. In the soccer match. It's awesome. Praise the Lord, right? But that's not really worship because you're thinking and worshiping and putting value towards soccer, not towards uh, football, not towards God, right? And so if we want to worship God in our families, it means that we must proactively talk amongst our families about God. By the way, one of the worst things you can do is teach your kids religion, teach them ritual, right? Some of us will say, well, all I need to do is just get them to memorize the Lord's Prayer. That's in the Bible. That's good enough, right? No, why not? Because they learn the ritual, they think that relationship with God means coming to church, eating crackers, and drinking juice. That's what they think relationship with God means. They need someone to explain it to them. They need someone to teach it to them. You may think the Sunday, that's what the Sunday school teacher is for, but I have, a, I have a message for you that that will never work because they do not, your children, your family members, do not respect those people like they respect you if you are authentic in your relationship with God. The third week, by the way, we talked about worshiping God and keeping keeping him central. I fumbled the ball. Wrong sport, right? Um, in our church, last week we talked about worshiping God in our church. And some of you came in last week and you're probably a little bit surprised because I said it's very easy for a church not to worship God, right? And in fact, lots of buildings and lots of organizations in our world that call themselves churches don't put God central. They make the music central. They make the show central. They make the, the guy that jumps up and down for five minutes and talks about who he knows central. You know, They don't make God central. And part of making God central is what happens with each of you when you come into church. You come into church because you're attending church. By the way, attending church is not really worshiping God. That's not really even related. You know, we've been talking a lot through the Old Testament in this section. You know what a great example of church attendance is? In the Old Testament, we talked about last week that people would come and they would be required to make sacrifice in the temple. And that sacrifice demonstrated 
their act, it was an act of faith, it was a ritual to show that they were forgiven of their sins because the Messiah had not yet come. So a lot of people thought they would be real smart, right? Malachi talks about this, and they thought, I'm going to go into my flocks and my herds, and I'm going to get the weakest, cheesiest, tripod, one-eye, no-ear-looking sheep that I can find to be my sacrifice. The worst sheep possible because God won't figure it out. I'm going to take that sheep, I'm going to stick it there, and I'm going to go to the temple, give the sheep, and then I'm going to get my gold star. I attended temple this week, and I am good, right? And many of us are tempted to do that. That's the ultimate attendance. I'm present, right? I get credit from God because I showed up, right? But my friends, I hate to tell you that just showing up is not really sufficient. It's not sufficient. In fact, just showing up probably irks God more than it makes him happy. Because instead of taking seriously your worship of God, you're just sort of being an attender. You might be, since lukewarm Christianity is the theme of this year, I can say it like this. We, you, me, I, all of us, might be lukewarm Christians when we attend church rather than being part of it. Church, the gathering of the people of God, not a building, depends upon each person being willing to commit their lives to worshiping God and willing to serve God. And we can tell by our actions whether or not we really worship God and whether we serve him or whether we serve ourselves and we worship money or our career or our job. You Listen, the, here's the thing, okay? You can fool me because, like, I'm not that smart. But you can't fool God. The Israelites thought if they bring a sheep with no legs and no eyes and three ears and, you know, whatever, maybe it had, like, four, no, five legs, right? That would be even better instead of three legs. Three legs on some days, five legs on another day, right? They bring that that God won't know. He won't know that I'm just sitting here and I come Eastern Christmas or I come on occasion because I'm just trying to get my gold stamp, get my attendance star. But God does, in fact, know, and it won't work. So let's not even do that. Let's look at a different way. Well, today we're going to talk about worshiping God in our world, keeping him central in our world. This is a difficult subject, and... I thought about, after three weeks of having nice, easy messages, I thought about wimping out and not doing this one. Uh, I'll tell you, I just was really, really thinking about it. But I feel like I felt like I needed to do it. So here's the thing that I have to tell you up front. One of the hardest things about speaking up here um, is application. Because every one of you work in different jobs. All right, And some of your jobs, if you try to worship in your job, like if you're taking a break or something, you go to lunch and you decide you want to sit in your cubicle and you want to read the Bible. Some of you have jobs where your boss is like, cool, that's awesome. You know, I know that you're not going to probably steal anything from the company. Some of you work in jobs where you're going to have a hard time. People are going to make fun of you. They're going to get mad. They're going to be offended because you're worshiping around them. I can't apply the situation to your job because everyone's job is different. But we can talk this morning about some principles about what it means to worship God on a day-to-day basis rather than try to store up our worship for Sunday morning, which never really works to begin with. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a great story in the Bible. Um, What happened in the story is not funny, but the way it was written, the way Luke wrote it, has some humorous points. It's kind of long, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at a story of people being in jail. And um, it'll be up on the Jumbotron as well, but you'll want to open it up. If you have your iPhone, you can, uh, if you have version or whatever it is, you can open up that as well. Um, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Okay, let's see what the Bible says. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse uh, 16 here. Okay, 
One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, this is uh, speaking of Paul, Silas, and um, a couple of their companions, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. Okay, so if you can imagine a demon-possessed slave girl, now it gets better. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. Now, I'm going to break down some of, the, some of what's going on here. Um, most of the fortune tellers that you meet are for entertainment value only. I remember when they had the Psychic Friends Network a few years ago, and that was real popular, and they'd always put for entertainment value only at the bottom. This is for entertainment, right? Most, in my experience, most fortune tellers, most channelers are just people who are, you know, they're cons. They're just, you know, in it to make a buck. They're entertaining, okay? However, if you dabble in that enough, you're going to come across a couple people who are not um, just cons. They are not just doing it for entertainment value. That are actually pretty serious about it and use dark spirits for that to happen. I know a couple people, or I've met a couple people in life, who are the one in a hundred who use dark spirits um, to get this accomplished. So this is one of those situations. This girl has a demon inside of her, and they're using it um, to earn them a lot of money. So she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Okay, so when she saw them, and when they met her, the girl stopped what she was doing, fortune-telling, and followed them around, yelling at them and yelling at people around them, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Now, if you grew up in America and you've lived in your West your whole life, then you have no idea, probably, the context of this. Now, I'm trying to break it down a little bit. Um, when I've been in parts of rural Africa, um, it's not exactly like the ancient world, but there are some similarities more so than being in Silicon Valley, okay? And it is actually not uncommon in a oral agrarian community, meaning one that works primarily on speaking and is very poor and very limited and very rural, for people to actually follow you around. In fact, I've had it happen quite a few times. When I've been in rural parts of Africa, people will actually stop what they're doing and they'll follow you around proclaiming things, okay? Sometimes they've been proclaiming like, you know, missionaries from America are coming to your door, sort of. That's not really what they say, but just to get an idea when we go around to different people's houses. I've also had one or two times where they're proclaiming bad things, you know, trying to curse me, as we talked about in our series on cursing, where they'll go around and they'll yell at me, cursing me the whole time when I'm walking around. That's not the norm, but it does happen with some amount of frequency, okay? So this is what happened here. Paul and Silas and them are walking around, and this lady's following them. We would think that we would call the cops if it happened for five minutes here in America. As a, as a Westerner, about an hour of it gets on my nerves. But here's what happened. This lady actually went on following them day after day. So this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to get out of her, right? That's how frustrated he got. Now, I don't know whether Paul knew that it was going to be successful or, you know, I don't know what his mindset was, but, you know, he, he let this woman follow around for days. Again, as a Westerner, I can take it for about an hour, and then I have to ask those people, please, you've got to do something else. You're just driving me crazy. But Paul let it go on for days and days, and this lady was following, her around, following him around, and so finally said, listen, dark spirit, you've got to get out of her. And instantly it left her. But here's the funny thing. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered because she couldn't channel it anymore. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now, there's some truth and some falsehood in there because 
early Christians were considered to be atheists in the ancient world, right? So what they were practicing was probably not very legal, um, depending upon how you define it by Roman standards. Although, to be honest with you, it was probably just as legal, if not more legal at that point in time, than having a demon-possessed girl, okay? That also was not really considered to be good. But guess what really is the God of our world most of the time? What does this mean? Money, right? They were losing revenue. And so that was the problem. They were really mad because they lost revenue. And so a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks, meaning he put them where they, you know, put them deep as he could, buried them so they wouldn't be able to get out. Around midnight, Paul and Silas, by the way, that was probably also for their protection as well. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They weren't banging on the jail cell. They were sitting there singing and praying to God singing hymns to God, praying, which we call under one umbrella word, which is what starts with W, worship, right? They're worshiping God. And the other prisoners were listening to them worship God. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here because the jailer would be responsible if everyone escaped. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and found down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's where there's a little bit of humor in what Luke wrote. See, in our English today, when we translate it from the original language, there is the word there for saved that we, we always take in a very religious context. But it really just means rescue. So it could have been he just asked, what do I need to get myself out of this situation? I'm in a mess here. You've just, your God just blew off the doors to the jail cell. When the magistrates come down from, the, from uh, City Hall uh, tomorrow morning to see what happened, I'm in big trouble. You've got to rescue me out of this situation. Paul and Silas not, 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 not missing this opportunity said this. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved or rescued, depending upon how you look at it, along with everyone in your household. And then again, it comes into our regular meaning. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he, he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. I don't know if they did it on the way home, if they stopped and there was a mud puddle on the road. They just did it. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced, and they worshiped God because they all now believed in God and had relationship with him. All right, a great story in the Bible. Here's what we're going to look at. Two ideas very quickly here this morning. Number one is that we must put God first in our world. It's absolutely critical that we put God first in our world and make him first. Now, here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Let me just tell you right at the outset. When we talk about the series, right, four-part series in our life, in our church, in our family, in our world, one of these is not like the other, right? Because we have control over whether God is first in our lives. You do. Sorry to break it to you. You actually have lots of control over that. You have control if God is first and central in your family. You have a lot of control over that. Again, sorry. Number three, you have a lot of control 
over whether or not God is central in your church. Why? Because hopefully you go to church where God is central. Not the music, not the programs and activities, but where God is central in the heart of the church. But number four, you don't really have control over whether or not God is central in our world. I mean, you're just a regular person. And in fact, when we look at these things, our life is redeemable. Our family is redeemable. Our church is redeemable. But the world is not as redeemable. Why do I say that? Well, the people in the world are redeemable, but the world is, to a large part, a lost cause according to the Bible. Who does the Bible say is in charge of the world? Who is the one, who is the one that the Bible describes as being the prince of this world, as being the king of this world? Not Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Who is the king of this world? That's a really bad joke, and some of you laughed at that. No one should have laughed at that joke. Who's the king of this world? The Bible describes the enemy of God as being the king of this world. The enemy is actually the one who messes everything up and, and causes all of our brokenness and our anger and our hatred to fight against each other. So if we're going to put God first in our world, we've got to do something different because, you know what, we have some control over our lives, but when it comes to our world, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a fight, and it's going to be a battle. But my friends, again, when we do this battle and we see where the battle lines are drawn, it demonstrates whether we're being a lukewarm Christian or whether we're being authentic in our worship of God. Let's break this down real quickly here this morning. First of all, worship should be our most authentic expression. When we look at Paul here and Silas being in jail in chapter 16, um, there was no reason for them to worship God. Why would they worship God? Why didn't they just call their lawyer? Why didn't they try to break out of jail? Why didn't they try to talk to the other prisoners about how they can get out of jail? Why didn't they beat on the jail walls? I mean, that's what we would do. But for some reason, Paul and Silas decided to worship God. Would worshiping God improve their status with the jailer? No. Would worshiping God improve the status with the people who felt like they had ruined their income? No. It would make them more mad, right? I mean, in a way, Paul and Silas did the worst thing possible, if you think about it logically. Because they did the one thing that they were actually in jail for, which is worshiping God and being authentic in their relationship with God. So what happens is, is that worship, when we talk about worship, it has to be our most authentic expression. Let me give you an example. Um, many of you like Chinese food. Some of you like fake Chinese food. Some of you like Indian food, and some of you like fake Indian food. Some of you, I know to be true, um, like American food, but a lot of you like fake American food, okay? Now, let me just ask you a question. If you want to be authentic, how do you deal with food that you don't really like so much? I'll tell you one food I don't like. I hate to break it to some of you, but nothing says I'm not going to really respond well to this food like when the head's still on it, Okay? Something about the head, I can't help it. When I see head on things, doesn't make me want to eat it, okay? So I've been to parties, right, in several different parts of the world, including here in Silicon Valley, where I'm served something with a head on it. Now, to me, I don't just dig in. What do I do? I eat very gingerly. I eat .001 gram, and I said, man, I'm really full. That was so good, Right? Why? Because it's, I can't authentically eat that. I can't really eat that and feel good about myself. I can't really eat that because it just seems weird. Now, you can tell me, oh, pastor, you just need to eat that head. Just suck that eyeball right down. It's all good and juicy. It's all good, right? 
Okay, but it's not going to happen. I just can't do it authentically. It's just not me. I'm sorry. You know, each of you have to decide what is you. Is you being a lukewarm Christian who worships God when it's convenient, or is you someone who is authentically worshiping God all the time? Who you are is determined by what you wear, by what you dress, by how you dress, by what you say, by how you speak to other people. When you speak to people, when you go through your lives, is it an authentic worship of God or is it something that's compartmentalized? Because the temptation for most of us is to compartmentalize our relationship with God and just make it be on certain times. We can't worship God at work. We can't worship God where at the mall. We can't worship God when we're in the store. But I want to just challenge that idea because if we are authentic in our relationship with God, then it will cause us to want to worship all the time. There won't be any time when we won't be worshiping God and keeping Him central because it's who we are. You know, uh, we were at a party a couple weeks ago and CJ said, you know, having a big plate of steak and beef is like being in heaven. And I had to correct him because I'm not sure that we eat meat in heaven, but that doesn't really matter. And... You know, when you get to chow down on your favorite food, no matter what it is, beef, hummus, pork rinds, whatever, fried chicken, pig's feet, pickles, pig's feet. That's my example for next illustration, so don't take that, right? Pig's feet, right? When you get to chow down on that, right? I mean, you do it authentically. You do it with gusto. It's great, especially when you're hungry. And in our lives... Do we approach worship on a day-to-day basis with gusto? Or do we just put it off when it's convenient for us? Or when we're, you know, where nobody can see us because we're embarrassed that we're worshiping God. If we want to have an authentic worship of God, then it has to be something that spills over into our lives. Look, Paul and Silas were in a bad position, but it was authentic because it's just what they knew to do. Because it's who they were. Some of you... Some of you will wear jeans until the day you die, right? You just cannot put on suit pants and a suit, right, and a tie. It's just not who you are. Some of you are the opposite. You have to wear a suit and tie pretty much everywhere you go. And that defines who you are. What defines you spiritually? Are you someone that no one has any idea who you are spiritually? Or are you someone that is authentically worshiping God wherever it may lead and wherever you may go? Listen, one of the things about this authentic worship is that we cannot hide our faith if we want to have faith. It's not something that we can hide. Because if it's something that's authentic and real in our lives, it's going to spill over. It's going to spill over into other things. By the way, remember, we're not defining worship as singing. Let's just give an example. If you go to work and you're singing, they may think you're a bit weird. Okay, because that's not what worship is anyway, right? But worship involves lots of things. It involves it can involve singing. Let's just get that one out of the way. It can involve reading our Bible. It can involve praying. It can involve praying for others. It can, I mean, because usually we think of praying for ourselves. It can involve praying for others. It can involve loving others. It can involve serving others. There's lots of aspects to worship. Worship starts where? In our heart, right? And it's what we do in our heart. It's our general reflection of value given to God rather than other things. If in our very core, in our very nature, we value God over money and over our careers, then somewhere in our job, we should be seen worshiping. Yes, that's right. 
Somewhere in our job, other people should notice us worshiping. Why? Because if you really love God and it's authentically who you are, it will by necessity spill over into other aspects of your life. Hey, you know what? If you're a single guy and you met this great girl and you're really excited about her, right, it spills over into other aspects of your life, doesn't it? Because you tell other people. You're really excited. If you win the lottery, you're going to tell everybody. You're not going to care what your coworkers think of you because you won the lottery. You're not concerned about what they think of you because you played the lottery. You're only concerned because you're so excited that you don't care what they think because you're so excited. But how frequently does that happen with our relationship with God? How frequently does it spill over in our relationship with God? Listen, if we have legitimate faith and we're not trying to be lukewarm, it's going to by necessity spill over into our workplace. Now, let me just say this here, because some of you are already like, ooh, you're getting close. I don't think I can do this at work. You're, no, you don't understand. Let me tell you what I do understand. Based on my very limited experience and the testimony of the, all the people I've ever talked to that I can think of, Almost every person I've ever met who tried to worship at work, it's never their boss that has the problem. I mean, I can't think of one example. It's always some other weenie in the office who's got to complain about everything. Am I right? Now, when I worked as a chemist, same thing happened. You know, I would worship when I was at work. I'd bring my Bible. You know, and my boss said, just, you know, be cool about it. Not a believer at all. But it's always some other person who always gets mad and, you know, is the one that upsets the apple cart for everyone. You know, they're like the person when, you know, all the 20 students want to go somewhere to the museum, they complain because, no, we can't go to the museum for some reason, so everything's canceled because of one person. You have to ask yourself a question, and we're going to ask this in a minute, is are you going to allow someone else to deter you from worshiping God. It may be your boss. It may not be your boss. Probably it won't be your boss. But are you willing? Because, I mean, Paul and Silas, they had lots of people who wanted to deter them from worshiping God. But they didn't do it. Why? Because it was authentically who they are. So that's the question you have to ask yourself. We cannot hide our faith. We want to have faith. Let's do the exercise here this morning. You might be a lukewarm Christian if no one outside of your home and church knows you're a Christian. I mean, if no one outside your home and church knows that you're a believer in God, that's a sure sign that you're a lukewarm Christian. And by the way, what did Jesus say about lukewarm Christians? You're hot and cold. God pukes you me. I'm going to puke them out of my mouth. Very clear. Okay? But that's not really true. You want to know what the truth of it is? But here's the truth. Actually, you might be a lukewarm Christian if everyone outside of your home and church doesn't know you're a believer. That's actually a better definition of a lukewarm Christian. Why should everyone you encounter not know that you're a believer in Christ? Now, I'm not talking about the guy that you meet when you're at Carl's Jr. getting a sandwich and you'll never see him again, because that's such a peripheral Western type of relationship. But every person you interact with on any type of level well, how could they not know that you're a believer in Christ unless you're hiding it? Oops, we forgot about God. But did we do it on purpose? Did we do it by accident? You know, I have a rule, and I've tried to follow this rule since I established this rule in my life about probably about 15 years ago. 
And my rule is, if people want to talk to me, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. Now, I'm not going to be mean about it, okay? But when I'm in Walmart, and people come up to me, talking to me, and ask me whether they should buy red vines or tweezers, which I don't really care. I'm an introvert. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me, okay? Just you stay in your bubble, and I'll stay in my bubble. But if people want to talk to me, then I'm going to talk about the things that are important to me. And I don't mean that selfishly because, you know, again, if, they're, if, if they have a problem in their life or something they need to talk about with someone, fine, get it all out. But seriously, if they're going to ask me red vines or Twizzlers, we're going to talk about something more important than that. And they're going to find out that I'm a believer. And they may get mad and they may get offended. They may walk away, though they usually don't. But there's always that chance. But if there are people in your life who don't know you're a believer in Christ and they know you well, something's wrong. Something's broken. It means your worship is not spilling over. It means your worship is limited. It means there's something broken there. If you have God as the center of your life, then there is no way for it not. Listen, everyone here probably knows someone whose God is money, right? We all probably know someone whose God is money. And that spills over into every part of their life, doesn't it? Why? Because when you go to the restaurant, they're always concerned about how much you're going to tip. When you go to the store, they say, I can't buy that. It's too expensive. They're always talking about money. People who worship money always talk about money. People who worship God always talk about, no, who won the England-U.S. soccer game, right? Except when they're in church. That's why I know that most people who attend church are just lukewarm Christians. Because their worship of God is very limited and it doesn't permeate any other part of their lives because it's not real. It's just not deep. It's just on the surface. Just a surface relationship. My friends, do you want a surface relationship with your kids or your spouse? If you do, then you're a shallow person. Just kidding. Well, you are a shallow person. I didn't mean to be mean. But most of us are willing to be satisfied with a surface relationship with God. And I'm willing to tell you, I'm here to tell you, the Bible's true. It's not going to be sufficient. Because God wants a much more deep and intimate relationship with you than that. And by the way, he deserves it because he's proven himself to you. Real quickly here this morning, we finish up. We've got like two minutes. We must dare our world to worship. It's not enough for us to just go out into our world. But we've got to dare and we've got to challenge and we've got to stir things up. I don't mean in a militant way. I mean in a worshipful way. We have to be willing to worship in front of other people because worshiping in front of other people challenges their paradigm on life. And as we're going to talk about in a minute, it scares them. Here's the thing. Two ideas. Rule worship doesn't accommodate every idol. Listen, there's tons of people in our world who have idols. They have ideologies. They have idols. They, they worship this. They worship that. They worship money. They worship success. They worship leave me alone. I just want peace. They worship all kinds of isms and and. You know, any idea that strikes their fancy. The gospel cannot accommodate every idol. But we people who claim to be Christians, we are willing to try to accommodate them because we have been taught that we're supposed to, but it doesn't work because we'll never be successful at it. Listen, Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, they didn't say, okay, before we worship God, let's accommodate our jailers and let's worship Zeus for a little while. Okay? Come on, Zeus, we're going to worship you for a little while. That's not what they did. You cannot go your entire life without running into some conflict with people over your worship. 
It's going to happen. There's just too many people who have too many crazy ideas out there there about who knows what. And there's no way for you to go your whole life without hitting into someone who is just not going to be cool with you worshiping God. But is that going to stop you from worshiping God? It's probably not the majority of people, but there's always the one. But that one, many Christians use as an example of why they shouldn't worship God. But it's not going to work. Listen, if I work with 15 people, and 14 of those people could care less if I'm married, but one of them doesn't like marriage, and doesn't like the fact that people get married, and hates marriage because he's a misogynist, or he's whatever, or, or she's, you know, sex in the city too, or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. Am I going to just not get married or not stay married because one person in my workplace doesn't like people who are married? Well, you would think that's what happens with Christians, right? Because we encounter one person who just doesn't tolerate what we believe, and we don't worship God. And we say, you know what? I'm just going to inauthentically live my life for the rest of my life. Now, again, I'm not talking about being militant or being mean. We ain't talking about that. We're talking about the fact that many of us use that as an excuse, the one person, the exception to the rule, as an excuse not to worship God. But, my friends, it is a choice that you make that's a mistake. Because what you're doing is you're stuffing down and compartmentalizing your relationship with God instead of letting it be free in your life. Some of you say, you know what, I'm going to wear these pair of pants because I like these pair of pants. It doesn't matter what people think, I'm going to wear these pair of pants. Or I'm going to wear this shirt because this is my favorite shirt. This is who I am. But are we willing to do that in our relationship with God? Are we willing to let our relationship with God and our worship God hang out for other people to see us? Because if we are, there's a significant opportunity here. See, oh, let me just say this. Real worship scares our world. Why does it scare our world? It scares our world because they're worried that your worship might be legitimate. You really worship God? It scares them because they're like, ooh, you know, what if it's real? What if really there is a God? Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And so it scares people to see legitimate worship. But it also challenges them because what happened with a jailer? The jailer heard Paul and Silas worshiping God, and they saw what God did, and it made him do what? Want what they had. Which is why keeping God central will rescue others. You know, nothing tells other people like that you love God, like being willing to worship God in front of them. Listen, you don't want to share your faith with people? Or someone gets mad at you at work for sharing your faith with people? Fine, take your Bible and on your break time, spend time reading your Bible and praying to God. Don't do it for other people, just do it for yourself. Because that's what you do, right? Because you're a believer. But you're going to find that people are going to be very interested in what you're going to do. Yeah, there's going to be the one who's going to complain to your boss because, oh my gosh, they brought a Bible to work. But most of them are just going to be a little bit like, that's weird. Why is that person doing that? Are they a nut? But if you live your life authentically, they'll realize very quickly that it's not about being a nut, but it's about you being authentic to who you are. That Yeah, you're trying to be a good employee, but you're also trying to live your life for God. And that when we do that, that when we live our lives for God, that it just naturally spills over. And nothing, nothing is like authentic faith. 
Listen, I'm not saying to go to your work tomorrow and wear some big, huge Jesus t-shirt and Jesus hat and carry huge Bibles and throw them at people. That's not what I'm saying. That's not authentic. That's stupid. What I'm saying is, if you what you do on Sunday, just do it on Monday. Just do it on Tuesday. You will find that more often than not, that people are very interested in real faith. Because the world is really good at being faithless. And when they encounter something that's real, most people are interested. You have to decide, though, because there's always going to be one person in your workplace, one person in your family, one person at the mall, one person wherever who has a problem with it. And they'll sue, they'll complain, they'll yell, they'll scream, they'll kick, they'll pull out their hair, all to silence you. But if you're authentic, it won't work. Because you'll worship God and you'll love them even though they act silly like that. Again, you have to decide. Every person you here today can change your world. You can see worship be in our, in our world. Every one of us go out here and we worship God every single day. If we did that, if even 10% of every church in America, oh, okay, all right, I'll be, let's be honest, 1%. If 1% of every church in America had people that worship God on a daily basis, you would see a huge sea change in every part of our society. But we have to decide whether we are authentically, authentic and real about our relationship with God or whether it's just something we do on Sunday morning. And on Monday, whoops, we forgot you, God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we pray that we would not have an oops situation Monday through Saturday, but that, God, that we would worship you in our world. That, Lord, as we go out into our jobs, into our careers, into our communities, that, Father, our worship of you would be front and central. That, Father, people would perceive us and see us worshiping you, whether it's listening to Christian music on the radio or taking our Bibles with us where we go. Father, that they would know that we are your children, and we would testify by that very fact. Father, we, we pray that you would keep us and you would keep us in this in, in doing this, that you would keep us uh, uh, focused on this and not be discouraged by it. Lord, it's so easy to be discouraged. Father, maybe there's some people here this morning who say, you know what, God, I've just been so focused on myself and my career, my family, my other issues that I haven't focused on you. Father, if they just need to recommit their lives today, just allow them to do that. Allow them to put you first in their lives. Father, I pray this morning for all of us that you would keep us safe, keep us in your good graces. You would bless us that we might be able to worship you every day and have the freedom to do so in our country. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.